I'm so grateful um, for our worship leadership team, and I'm so grateful for the joy of being able to do ministry in our city. This is Zach Johnson. Zach serves here at First Baptist New Orleans as our community ministry director in our ministry leadership residency program that we have going on. And so I'm so grateful for him. And um, this week we were talking about some of the ministries that we have as a church. And like Anna said earlier, you are a church of faithfulness to do ministry in our city. And so we were talking about some of our Care Effect ministries. And Zach, I wanted you to share with the church a little bit of like an impact moment for you uh, when you were um, helping out with um, Fuel the Future. Um, so, so share a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, on Wednesday, I went to go help uh, Fuel the Future, like pack some of the bags that they give to students. It's a, a food insecurity ministry where uh, so some students, like some of the students in like local schools on weekends, they don't have food over the weekend. So the ministry like caters to and serves them in that way. And so I went on Wednesday to help them pack lunches and to get a feel for like the ministry. And one thing that I remember happening, um, like they showed me the list. I asked like about like how many schools do they serve and stuff like that. They showed me the list and uh, I didn't think anything of it. Like it was, you know, and, but towards the end, we ended up praying and we prayed over each school and each student who signed up uh, for a few of the futures. And that, that really, like I didn't expect it, but it really did sit with me. And that was something I, ended up sharing with Pastor Chad. And he was like, yo, you should come tell the church about that. <laughs> I think so. And I, I think it is, it is an amazing ministry. So I think sometimes we can really underestimate the impact of just like what it means to be praying. That, the people that are doing that ministry, they may be the only person in that child's life praying over them on a regular basis. I mean, that's the reality of the city that we live in. Uh, there may not be that other adult in their life that is praying for them in an intentional way. And so I just want you to see the beauty of this ministry, just how, 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 how loving it is to pray over a school and to pray over a child uh, by name on a weekly basis, um, just the gift that that is. So if folks wanna learn more about this ministry and how they could be involved, because I know there's multiple ways to get involved, what would be a next step for them? All right, so the next step would be, I have some of these flyers at the welcome desk. So if, you, uh, if you're interested in that, you can go and grab one of these files. There's a QR code that you can scan. There's a sign-up sheet um, at the welcome desk as well. And there's also the CareFake wall in between the two bathrooms. And you can scan a QR code there as well. And uh, you'll just click Fuel the Future or whichever ministry you, you're interested in. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much, Zach. I appreciate it. You guys join me in thanking Zach. So grateful for his ministry here, uh, the experience, this ministry leadership residency that he's going through to help us uh, be able to develop leaders, um, especially leaders of color uh, as they're here in our city. We're so thankful. Uh, Zach is in this at the seminary. He's actually the the, the vice president for the uh, the Black Seminarians Fellowship over at the seminary. And so growing in leadership there, but then also growing in leadership here so that we are, I mean, truly elevating gospel hope for the flourishing of our, of our neighborhoods, New Orleans, and all nations. And so thank thankful for that. Well, this week we are still in this three-week series that I'm calling Ready to Grow. Last week we looked at Ready to Grow in Love and we looked at Matthew 22 verses basically 34 through 40, looking at how Jesus made so clear that the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and, and, and strength. And then the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so we talked about just this priority of love, that if we're going to grow, we have to 
to grow in this love for God, but how ultimately that's because of God's great love for us. It's a response to his love for us. And so today, as we continue in this Ready to Grow series, um, I want us to look at the importance of gathering as the body, um, of why it is so important that in God's design that he is intended for us to gather as a body in order to worship him. Um, And I'm not just talking, let me just go ahead and clear up a few things. I'm not just talking about, when I say the word worship, about singing songs and listening to Chad preach. Um, that's, that's not all that there is to worship. They, those are certainly aspects of worship, but worship is supposed to consume your entire life. Uh, everything about your life is to be a, a worship to the Lord. So when I act in obedience to God's word to love my neighbor as myself, I am worshiping the Lord. Um, so it's important for us to see that, that worship is to consume us, but there is something very unique spoken of in the scriptures about the priority and importance of gathering as the body and why that is so important. And today we're gonna see it in the book of Hebrews. I wanna invite you to turn it to, in the New Testament, to the book of Hebrews to chapter 10, and we're going to look at this together. It impacted me really deeply when I got the chance to go to Rivard um, Juvenile Detention Center over on the West Bank to be able to go in and to be with young men that were in a pod. A pod is this group of individual rooms that are all together kind of as a cluster of, uh, in our case, young men that have been incarcerated for, for whatever reason and were there. And we have the chance on a weekly basis on Thursdays to be able to go to Rivard, uh, men and women to, to work with teenage boys and teenage girls to be able to go in and bring the hope of the gospel. And so we had the chance to come in and I don't know exactly what I was expecting, whether the the teenagers in the room would be kind of um, disengaged, if they would just be hoping because we brought a few snacks to get a snack and then head back to their room. What I found when we got there was this incredible desire to sit at the table together, each one of them having their own Bible hungry. Some of them were struggling to be able to read really well, but they wanted to. And as we sat there together and we opened up God's word and we took time to go around looking at each one of these young men in the eyes with respect and with love and speaking to them as young men, you could just feel their, their, their chest kind of rise to the occasion to, be, to sit there. But as we talked about it, each one of them talked about a moment that was hopefully coming soon where they wouldn't be in Rivard and they'd be heading back home. And so one of the things that we shared with them was the importance importance of them finding a local church in their neighborhood. I'm so thankful for a city that has churches throughout it that are in lots of neighborhoods. And there's a lot of healthy churches in our city. And so we talked about that. And I said, and I gave them this illustration that I give to you um, to communicate the importance of gathering together. I said, you know, how many of you guys have ever worked with a charcoal grill before? You know, like where they were, everybody was grilling and you put the charcoal little briquettes in there and you put them all together. I was like, when you're lighting it, you kind of pile them all on top of each other to light it. And I said, and what happens? They're like, man, they all get real hot and everything. I said, that's right. I say, but what happens if one rolls off? And they said, it goes out. I said, that's exactly what happens to us. When we're gathered together, we, we stay hot in our love for God. And we stay hot in our, in our obedience to his word. We're, we're much more likely to stay on fire for the Lord. But when we roll off and we're isolated and we're not with the group, it's not long before we begin to die in our passion and our love for God and, and love for one another. I was like, so that's part of the, you know, have that illustration to, to why it's so important for you to be with the body. 
And I want you to see that as well, but that's not original to me. That's right out of God's word. So I wanna invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. We stand just to honor God because we're saying God's, God's in the room speaking to us and we wanna honor him even in the way that we receive his word. So in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19, we hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary, and this isn't talking about this sanctuary. He's already made clear earlier. He's talking about the, the, the real sanctuary, the one in heaven, okay? So he's saying that earthly sanctuaries are just a picture of the real sanctuary where God is at all times, okay? And so that's important for us to know, to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus. And then he stops, he says, because he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, all referring to Jesus, he says this in verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Second, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering since he who promised is faithful. And then third, and let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting, hear this, to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray that all the more as the day approaches nearer and nearer, that you will use your word to ready us for that day, that our hearts would truly be given fully to Jesus and obedience to his word, and that today we would walk away realizing that essential to our growth in you is the body, is the local church, is our relationships with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. So please today, would you speak through your word? In Christ's name we pray, amen. You can be seated. I wanna start at the end of this passage. I wanna start at the bottom and actually walk our way up. And even as I do, I wanna acknowledge that in this passage, when you look at it grammatically, the idea of where it says in verse 25, not neglecting to gather together as some in the habit are doing is actually part of, it's a continuation of the third point that he's made when he says, and let us watch out how to provoke one another to love and good works. But as you look at it and you look at the thought of the text of this paragraph, it really becomes evident to me in light of the rest of God's word that really that idea of gathering together becomes essential for a participation and experience of all three parts. In other words, while it's tied inextricably in a, gra in a grammatical sense to the final point, it really kind of helps give governance to the entire understanding of how we experience these three aspects that he's encouraging us to do. And so what I want us to see today is the fruit of the habit of gathering together to worship. The fruit of the habit of gathering together to worship. That's really kind of the, the title of this message. And what I want us to walk away with is understanding that there is fruit that comes from this good habit of gathering together as the body. Now, let me just start off with where are we? Where are we today as the church? Not talking about First Baptist New Orleans, but talking about evangelical churches like First Baptist New Orleans and the, the, the current state of things. The current state of things, according to Barna Research, is that most people who would identify themselves as an active member in a Baptist church, 
or in an evangelical church are now at a place of attending church once a month. That that's, that's the, the average for church attendance now for those that identify as a member of an evangelical church that would say, I'm, I'm a member in good standing, I'm participating, is participation once a month. Now you look at the kind of the statistics and the trend that's taking place, and that's really over about a 20 year period of people being pretty regular, maybe about weekly or three, time, three to four times a month to down to one time a month. And so, you, you know, immediately I know it sounds like I'm trying to shame us into going to church and those kind of things. You know, it's important when I get lost somewhere, I try to find that map that's like, you are here. And then it's like, okay, well, I'm here. Boy, I meant to be way over here. And, and so that's my hope today in helping us to grow is to know, well, where are we? Well, what has happened? Well, there's a lot of things that happen. One is that there's been a cultural shift from this kind of hands off, you know, on Sunday, this kind of like, community kind of acknowledgement, you know, Sunday's not a day to schedule something. Sunday's not really the day to schedule sports, you know, or, to, or, or like for your kids' sports. Sunday's not really a day, you know, or at least Sunday morning to schedule a birthday party or Sunday morning, you know, it's not really a time to really do anything else because most people go to church. Well, I don't know about you, but that's not the experience that we have anymore. Um, many are the invitations to come to something scheduled during Sunday morning. Um, there's not that kind of everybody's on the same page about, hey, at least Sunday morning is off, is off limits. That's kind of sacred time for people to gather and worship. That's a cultural shift that took place. And so we have to realize the impact that that's had. There's many things that for us as the people of God, will pull us away. There's lots of invitations. There's lots of events. There's lots of things that are interrupting now our schedule because of that cultural shift. That's just important for us to know where are we, okay? But think about it in this way. If, if I asked you, you know, like how often do you work out? And you said once a month. Chances are that's not gonna be having much impact other than maybe occasioning a heart attack, you know, <laughs> that once a month you kind of sprint through your neighborhood, um, that's probably not gonna be contributing a lot to your health. Um, if anything, it could contribute in some ways to feeling even more disconnected. You see, one of the things that I've realized, and this is just kind of anecdotal from my observation, is that it's sometimes when we gather together as the church and there's someone that maybe has been on the fringe, maybe that's one of those folks that's attending one, one Sunday out of the month, or maybe, you know, chances are they, they missed six weeks in a row because they went this first Sunday and then the last Sunday, the second month. So long periods that one of the most alone moments that they feel is when we gather together and we're having a time of fellowship and they realize I don't have the relationships here. And sometimes that can be the moment for them that they say, I think I'm done and just kind of tap out. Well, why do I bring that up? Because it's gonna be really important for us as a church family, even as we lean into this text, to know we have to be incredibly intentional about pulling in those people, especially when we have times of gathering where it's a fellowship event. 
I love how Lisa Cooper has helped us to elevate the fellowship culture here at our church with, with helping to, to put onto the schedule every month the Gather Together Sunday where we're, where we're gathered in the foyer and we're having donuts. I mean, I know a lot of you like, that's a Sunday that you have put on the calendar. You're like, I'm gonna be there the third Sunday of every month you know, for the donuts. Um, but that was really intentional to help elevate the fellowship culture. But those moments, can I just tell you, that they're not meant to just be a time to talk to somebody that you've always known, um, someone that you already have a deep relationship with. Our hope is that that's an on-ramp for someone for a new relationship, uh, where somebody that maybe has been kind of on the fringe, that they actually become part of a group and they get invited to your Bible study group um, or to be part of a fellowship that you're part of. And so I wanna encourage you with that of where we are and, and to let you know, I'm not starting this conversation to shame you, instead, just like a, a fitness coach is gonna sit down with you and say, okay, you're wanting to get healthy. Okay, that's great. How much time do you think that's gonna take? And if you're like, once a month, he's gonna say, thank you for coming in. You know, like, but that's, that's really not gonna result in fitness. Um, okay, well, twice a month, that's gonna take more than that. Before you know it, you're in a commitment that's taking up more time than it's not with a fitness coach in order to get to a place in your health where you really wanna go. I'm just gonna make the assumption that if you're watching today or if you're in this room, it's because you actually want to grow in your faith. Uh, we've moved past, especially in urban environments like New Orleans, this idea of just cultural Christianity where, well, yeah, well, everybody goes to church on Sunday. No, mo most people in New Orleans actually don't go to church on a Sunday. Um, so it's no longer just cultural to go to church. I'm assuming that you're here because you actually want to grow. And so today, as a pastor, I wanna encourage you with the word of God of why that's so important and the fruit, the fruit that you have to look forward to. You see, the final illustration from that fitness coach is when I started kind of a fitness journey several years ago, and I was talking with this coach that was gonna be trying to like motivate me to do more than I'd been doing to get in a better shape. He said, tell me what it's gonna look like when you get in better shape. What, what are you gonna be able to do? And I was like, uh, lift more weight? He was like, no, no, no. Like, you know, that's what you'll do in the gym, sure. But what's your life look like? What are you gonna be able to do in your life if you get in the shape that you wanna be in? What's life look like? And I was like, maybe not being as much pain in my back, okay? Maybe be able to, you know, like play with my kids a little bit more vigorously, you know, like where I'm not getting exhausted or can we just watch something instead, you know, but like wanting to be more physically active with my family. Okay, great. And living longer. I'd like to live longer and to be able to have more time with my wife. Wow, so you've got some really good reasons to wanna to get in shape. Can I tell you that you have every reason right here in this text, and it's the very last word, to wanna to get in shape and to be ready, to be ready for that day that's called the day of the Lord. Right here in this text, as you see the day, he's not talking about any day, He's talking about the day of the Lord. You wanna be ready for that day. Just as a bride and a groom wanna be ready for the day of their wedding, you want to be ready for that day, for your life to look like this. And God has given you a family in order to be ready for that day of incredible reunion with Christ Jesus, our Lord. So what does it look like? 
What is the fruit of the habit of gathering together to worship? Well, number one, starting at the end of the passage in verse 24, it's going to be an increase of love and good works. An increase of love and good works. Who here doesn't want that? Who here wants, not actually like an increase of hate and of hateful acts. I don't know anybody that thinks that way. An increase of love and good works. He's saying that when you prioritize and you create the habit of gathering together, you can anticipate in your life, in your life individually, an increase of love, a love for God, a love for others, and good works in your life. And here's how it comes, by letting us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works. Verse 24, the New Living Translation says it this way, let us think of ways to motivate one another. Let us think of ways to motivate one another. You see, the reason that I will often share a text message or share an email or share some message with you that I've received during the week is for that exact reason. It's motivated me to live more for God's glory, to to honor the Lord and to want to pursue him more because of your example. I remember well when I was gathered with friends years ago, and I've shared this story before in different groups, but we were gathered in my home for a group. And I remember my friend, Keith Taylor, asking the guys in the group, really kind of asking one of the guys, man, what are you doing to make sure that your wife has time in her day to be able to spend with the Lord? And the Lord just pierced me in that moment because he was modeling for us that he was doing that. With his, with his family and with his wife, just being sure that he was doing his share so that she would have some time to be able to be with the Lord, just like he was pursuing the Lord. And I realized in that moment, I wasn't doing anything to be sure that my wife had even five minutes to be alone with the Lord in prayer because I wasn't prioritizing that. And so the next morning, my alarm went off in an hour. It had not gone off. And I got up early and I began a journey with the Lord that continues to this day. And that challenge, that motivation came from the context of just two men being as iron is to iron, sharpening one another. Don't miss it. That's the simplicity of this. That's, it's not about coming in here and impressing each other. Hey, let me tell you what I did this week. Let me tell you, you know, like, let me do this. But many times it's often the stories that we tell. Like when, when Zach, that's why I wanted to invite him up here with you. I was so impacted because I didn't know that they were praying over the individual names of the children. I knew that they were praying for the schools, but I didn't even realize that they were praying over each child. And that impacted me because I pray for my children. And, and, and I know what it means to know that I've had a grandmother and a mother that have been praying for me my whole life. And, and, and that they pray for me on a, almost a, a daily basis. Uh, that means a lot. That, that really shapes me to know that I have someone that's praying for me and to know that God is responding to those prayers. And then to think we could be that for someone else. We could be that, that godly influence for a child of praying over them. And we may not meet them, but how cool would it be? How cool would it be if later on in life, we do come into a relationship and we're able to look them in the eyes and say, for your whole childhood, for all those years in elementary school, we were praying for you by name. That's an impact. And that provokes us toward love and good works. Let me tell you, you don't have to wait to start doing Fuel the Future to start praying for maybe even kids that you know. Who are kids in your neighborhood that right now you could begin to pray for based on that 
provocation, that, that stirring up of an example? Who, who are kids in, in your kids' class or your grandchildren? Who are people that you can begin to pray for in an intentional way? I encourage you, do that all the more. The fruit of the habit of gathering together is going to be an increase of love and good works from having considered how we might provoke one another to love and good works. But second, one of the the fruit of gathering together in order to worship is going to be a tighter grip on truth. A tighter grip on truth. It seems like more and more and more people are desperate for the truth. This is what's so sad. They will often grab onto something that is just as shaky as the thing they had before in order to grab on the truth. I can't tell you how many times over the last several years, I had different media sources recommended to me to get the real truth. Anybody else? Where where somebody was like, no, no, no. If you wanna know what's really happening, you need to subscribe to this newsletter. No, no, if you wanna know what's really going on, this group, they're, they're completely unbiased. They don't get any of the, the support that these big you know, media reporters do. And so like you can trust every word they say. That's what's really going on. People desperate to have a grip on the truth. Can I tell you the best source for you to get a grip on the truth is together as the church, grip the truth of God's word, to lean in and maybe even, I love how Pastor Nate will say it sometimes. He'll say sometimes like, you know, hey, I wanna, I wanna arm wrestle about this a little bit. Well, what's he getting at? He, he's saying, let's lean into the tension of this where maybe there's two ideas about something and let's really work on this together. I love the imagery of that, that we would do that with the truth of God's word, that when we come to a passage and it's like, well, I think it it means this. And somebody says, well, I've always understood it this way, that we would lean into the relationship, the proximity. Think about how close you have to get to arm wrestle. I mean, you're like right there with each other to then go about it of exploring what does it mean and looking at it together. Let's be that kind of church rather than that. I don't care what he says. Well, I don't care what she says. And then we go our own ways. Let's not be that kind of church. Let's be the kind that leans in to the relationship, to the tension, and we look one another in the eyes and we even arm wrestle. Chances are we may end up more unified, more on the same page than we ever thought that we were when we were first hearing the different thoughts. A tighter grip on truth. Look at verse 23. Let us hold on, he says, like grip to the confession of our hope without wavering since he who promised is faithful. Since he who promised is faithful. Notice what he says, the confession of our hope. The confession of our hope. What is our hope? Well, Paul, I mean, the, the writer of Hebrews has made very clear here in this passage what our hope is in verse 25. And all the more as you see the day approaching. I've said this before, but it's worth repeating that for many of us, we have made our hope death. Many of us have settled into an understanding of what hope is, is that hope is my death and then I get to go to heaven. And we may not have said it in those ways that I hope to die, but so many believers have have cashed in the real hope that we are given in scripture for what would really be a lesser hope. In fact, I would say that death isn't part of our hope at all as believers anymore. 
In fact, death is an enemy that will ultimately be defeated by Christ Jesus in the day of our hope, which is the day of the resurrection, which is the day of the Lord, which is the day of his return. You see, the believers, the followers of Jesus Christ, think about it. When he was crucified and then buried in the tomb, do we find them comforting each other with these words? Well, he's in a better place. Well, at least he's not having to go through all that, you know, trouble with the Pharisees anymore. Well, he's happy now. No, we don't see any consolation. We don't see any encouragement. We don't see any victory until what? The resurrection. It's the resurrection of Jesus that changes everything. And brothers and sisters, the resurrection is what is the ultimate biblical hope that we hold. That's why... Even John himself ends Revelation with not, not with, we're coming, Lord, we're coming, but with come, Lord, come. It's a, it's a complete flip of our understanding of what is our ultimate hope. So you and I are a people living for a day to come that no one, not even the son himself knows the day or the hour when Christ Jesus himself will return. Think about that moment when Christ Jesus ascended into heaven and the angels appeared and they speak to the disciples. What do they say? In the same way you've seen him go, he will return. This is important for us to understand. This is the hope that we've been given. And if we settle in for a, a hope of just getting to heaven, then we're gonna get to heaven and realize what they're all waiting for up there is that day when Christ Jesus will return. We're gonna get there and realize, oh my gosh, we, we missed it. We had a chance to be united with all of heaven and this anticipation and longing for the day of the Lord, but we made our focus. Boy, there's part of me that just can't wait to die. So then I can be done with this and, and, and leave this life. Can I tell you that, that that sort of thinking, if you take it to its logical end, is not good. It, it leads to a kind of fatalism where we don't really value life that much. And where we might can even begin to think that, you know, helping someone die may be the best thing. Before we know it, we're on this, this road that leads to assisted suicide and euthanasia and, I mean, and, and even suicide itself. I mean, like, we've got to think carefully about this stuff, that if we really take this to its logical conclusion, if it's just about dying and getting to heaven, if that's it, then, then why are we waiting? That's the logical conclusion of some of these thoughts. And we need to be mindful of that and to be mindful that it was not until the resurrection of Jesus that there was great hope and there was great joy among the disciples. And brothers and sisters, when I do a funeral for a believer and I spend time with that believing family and I come in, I remind them of this biblical hope that one day their loved one will be resurrected and will receive a body that will no longer have to ever think again about cancer or think again about organ failure because of old age that will never have to think again about being susceptible to an injury that took their life. The new body we will get, and I don't understand what it looks like. I don't know if it's the, a younger version of me, an older version of me. I don't know exactly what that, what that resurrected body looks like, but I know this. I know it's gonna be the, the reunion of my body and soul for which all of heaven and all of creation longs in that day of the Lord. A tighter grip on truth reminds us of that. 
You know that? That like we need to remind one another of these sorts of truth when we're together of what is our ultimate hope. And can I tell you, this is a verse you need to commit to memory so that you can say it to those you love since he who promised is faithful. Since he who promised is faithful, we need to encourage each other with those words. We need one another to encourage one another with those words that he who promised is faithful. That's how we hold on tighter and tighter to the truth that is ours in Christ Jesus. But then thirdly, when we experience the fruit of the habit of gathering together in worship, we experience a closer, a closer relationship with God. Look at verse 22. God's word says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water, a closer relationship with God. Can I tell you that that takes place in the context of community, that we need to remind one another on a regular basis that you are clean, that you have been cleansed. You say, well, I, I know that Jesus died for my sins, you know, and I, when I first believed, but man, you, you don't know what I did this weekend on Friday night. I'm not clean. And with the truth of the gospel, we can look at one another and say, you need to confess that to the Lord, that thing that you're carrying around. But can I tell you, when Jesus died on the cross for your sins, he paid for that debt too. You're clean, you're forgiven. Now, the writer of Hebrews, right out of this, verse 26, is going to go into a passage of warning about persisting in unrepentant sin. There's a warning here. He, he's not saying, this is cheap grace, you're clean, do whatever the heck you want. That's not what he's saying. Instead, he warns us that if that is your heart, that, well, man, Jesus already paid, you know, I've got my policy, I can do whatever I want now. I've got my, my, my eternal deed, you know, my, my, my eternal property deed in heaven, so I can live and do how I want on this earth, that you have misunderstood the gospel and you are in danger. You are in danger because you are one who obviously doesn't understand what it means to be a follower of Christ and to experience his grace. But for the rest of us who have, the rest of us who, who have experienced his grace and are grieved when we gratify the flesh, when we do something on the computer that we know we shouldn't do, when we speak with our mouths or type with our fingers in a way that we know doesn't honor God and we feel the weight of it and we feel remorse over it, we need to remind one another in community that you've been forgiven, that you are clean, not because of what you do, but because of what he did for you you're clean. And then you have a heart that's been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. You're not supposed to carry around all the shame and the guilt anymore. You've been cleansed and your body has been washed pure, ready for the day of Christ Jesus. It's interesting. Paul uses very similar language over in Ephesians when he talks about the relationship of a husband and wife to be washing her with the water of the word. He's saying you should, a husband should be doing that, that, that same idea of washing with the word. Brothers and sisters, that's why we study the word. 
That's why in our Bible study groups, we lean into the word together and we talk about it because God is cleansing us and making us ready for the day of Christ Jesus with the goodness of his word. So we look and we see this increase of love and good works. We see a a tighter grip on the truth, the ultimate truths that are of greatest importance. And we enter into with one another, a closer relationship to God. So many times we make that individualistic. You say, well, Chad, you yourself have been telling us individually, right, to be reading the Bible four or more days a week. Yes, and I don't apologize for that, but neither do I apologize for challenging you in this moment to prioritize gathering with the body to worship, to gathering in this room to worship the Lord, to gathering in smaller clusters I love that we even have a Bible study group that takes place on Zoom where people are able to interact with each other, but without having to leave their homes on a Tuesday evening. I love those sorts of interactions. But if you are settling in to just watching a church worship, when you could otherwise be gathering, I want you to know that's not having the same impact on you. Sure, it's good. You're hopefully hearing a good message. But if you're settling into a life of just listening to a sermon on a podcast or watching a service some other time, but not prioritizing gathering with the body, that's going to have an impact on you that doesn't produce an increase of love and good works, that doesn't increase your grip on truth, and that doesn't increase the closeness of your relationship to God. But make no mistake about it, the writer Hebrews is not turned all of a sudden to a works-based salvation where you better gather if you wanna be saved. No, in fact, he leads off in this passage with a reminder of how it is that we've been saved and been given this gift of being included in the body. And he does it with this. He says, for he has inaugurated a new and living way through the curtain that is his flesh. And because he's inaugurated this new way, we have boldness to enter the sanctuary. But why? Only through the blood of Jesus. What has he just proclaimed? He has proclaimed exactly what Jesus said on the night of his betrayal. When he took a cup and he said, this, this cup is now represents my blood in a new covenant. And then he took bread in the same way he, 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 he lifted it up, he gave thanks, and he said, take, this is my flesh given for you. Take and eat every one of you. The writer of Hebrews is proclaiming essentially the Lord's Supper. He's saying, this is what Christ has done for you. But today we're not taking the Lord's Supper because I want to emphasize that it's not the bread and it's not a little shot of, of Welch's grape juice that saves you. It is the blood of Jesus and it is his flesh given for you on the cross. That's your salvation. That's how you've been cleansed. It's not through what you can do to even participate in a symbolic way. It's only through faith in what he has done for you. Notice what he says. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Faith is believing God. Faith is trusting God. And I want to encourage you in two ways today. If you're here today and you've never trusted in faith in Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to do that today. The life that he wants to produce through the salvation that you receive from him is a life characterized by love and good works, a love that has a firm grip on truth, a a life that is growing in a real relationship with him. 
But I want to challenge others in this room in this second way, that if that's the life you want, because you've experienced the forgiveness and the grace of God, the blood of Jesus cleanses you and his flesh is inaugurated in a new way into the presence of the Lord, I want to encourage you to prioritize gathering with the body on a regular basis. That's how you grow. Just like no fitness coach is going to stand before somebody and say, yeah, you know, I, I guess once a month will be fine. Yeah, I think you'll see great out, outcome on that. I would be a fool, I'd be lying to you. If I said, yeah, I think you can maybe get in 12 a year, 12, 12 times of gathering with the church a year. And I, yeah, I, I think you'll probably grow a lot. Why would I lie to you? Why would I speak to you in that way when I believe that you really want to grow? I believe that you want a life that looks like that, that is characterized by love for God and love for others, that's characterized by good works created ahead of time in Christ Jesus for you to do. I believe that you really do want the life that looks like you've got a firm firm grip on truth that you're not just swayed by this media source and that media source. You're not just like following whatever you see on Facebook. No, your life is more anchored than that. It's more grounded than that. It seems like there's a real solid footing under you and a life where people look and a life where you really know, I have a relationship with the Lord. It's by his grace, but it is what sustains me through every season of my life. I believe that's the life you want. And I believe that's the life that God wants for you. And so please, will you prioritize gathering with the body to worship? Can you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this morning to be reminded in your word of how you designed the church to be the the place where we grow, the community where these relationships take place. Lord, I pray that Sunday morning would be the floor and not the ceiling of our experiences with one another. That just as I think about some of the gatherings that we've even had this weekend, Fall Flourish, this women's event yesterday morning that I've heard nothing but incredible things about, that it's those sort of intentional gatherings where where women have gathered together to be encouraged to hear testimony of your grace and of your redemption. God, all of these things, Father, they work together. I think about the gathering last night at one of our Bible study groups, just to be able to watch a football game together, play some games and have fellowship with one another. God, I think about these sort of relationships. Lord, please, would you make them fruitful in these ways, according to your word? And Lord, for the person in this room right now that is at that place where maybe they're attending once a month, Lord, I pray they would just take that next step toward prioritizing twice a month and then take the next step toward prioritizing three times a month so that their regularity of gathering with the body would take place so that they will grow. But Lord, for the person in this room this morning who's never experienced salvation, pray today would be the day that you save them through faith in Jesus Christ. I'm gonna invite everyone to stand in this moment. We're gonna respond in song, but if you're here today and you have never trusted Jesus Christ and you have questions about what it means to place your faith in Him, I'm gonna be standing right here. I would love the chance to speak with you this morning as we respond.